Welcome to ProductWise Podcast. This is your host, Alexandra Dinella, and my special guest today is Shinyong Park. Shinyong is a San Francisco-based tech investor, advisor, and an executive. She is currently a chief product officer at Spoon Radio, the audio streaming app with over 30 million downloads around the world. She has invested in various startups such as Magic Bus, Palmstead, and Stonks, and is a running advisor in 500 startups. Prior to Spoon Radio, Shinyong founded a mobile gaming studio which saw 3 million downloads in just over two months, reaching top grossing and becoming number 45 on iOS devices. In her early days in 2000s, Shinyong raised $1.5 million from Samsung and sold a childcare start- community startup to Utopia Inc. Today, we're going to talk about reaching product market fit with minimum sub- without spending millions of dollars. Today, we're going to talk about reaching product market fit without spending millions of dollars, building a global product with people in different countries, and navigating through the uncertainty with zero-to-one entrepreneurial mindset. Xinyong, welcome. Thank you for being here. Uh, The floor goes uh, to you. Um, Our first question, of course, and where I'd love to start is, is really your uh, your career, you have an amazing uh, progression from, I believe you studied the industrial design um, and you've progressed to now being a CPO in Spoon. Um, could you walk me through the, you know, how your journey had been developing over the past years? Um, because, you know, product management generally is perhaps the uh, the niche that attracts so many um, individuals from so many uh, different uh, paths. Uh, so we'd be keen to, to understand and hear your journey. Yes, it sounds good. I'm happy to be here. Um, so like I said, I studied industrial design in, in college. It was an engineering school and both high school and um, engineering, uh, the, the college, the female population was only seven to 8%. So it, it was very, uh, now I look back like, wow, I didn't even know how to um, put makeup on or going on dates. And so it was, I think it was um, very different, but luckily I, I loved making things. So I was just making stuff and I, I loved it at, at school. And I joined uh, a VC firm after college, and my job was finding um, startups where we can acquire or invest. And I saw an opportunity where uh, in, in uh, the mom and baby community vertical, there was nothing in Korea back then. So I proposed an idea with just a storyline of what would be awesome if it exists. And uh, the partner at VC firm said, just you, you go build it yourself. And because I, I that's what I, I I love to do. I build things, and uh, press picked up, and uh, Samsung invested in. So I I think I was very lucky, and the timing worked out. That's how I became an entrepreneur and sold that company. And when I moved to the U.S. Um, at um, NYU for the master's program, also it was just building anything based on technology, whatever I think of. So, and, and then in, in San Francisco, again, because that's all I knew, I uh, raised money and made a mobile app and gaming and sold a few uh, more companies and a lot, lots of failures. <laughs> and I realized I, I like building products, not necessarily building company. 
So that's how uh, my PM career started. If I wanted to be a PM back in Korea, I don't think there was like no way I could figure out what product management meant. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, I think in Web One phase in Silicon Valley, there's a Silicon Valley product networks, but in Korea, I would just like you, you, you are a service planner for uh, like a wireless network companies, <laughs> and even still, the definition of product managers and project project managers and product owners, I think those are still very different by company by company. So when I became a product manager, I, I trained myself to be better. And again, luckily, I uh, drove results like um, 10x revenue, 2 to 5x retention. So I became a director and companies like, oh, you're good at it, like, go help others. And when I became a director, being a really good PM, like making an impact as an IC versus knowing how to help others to perform and be the best version of themselves it was very different. I had no idea how to be a manager. And um, I was at a, uh, with my hairdresser and she was talking about leadership and how do you know all those things? And she said, there's a leadership workshop. Um, so like without any question, I just signed up for that weekend workshop. And I did the, it was more like a spiritual journey to be a, to be a leader and the leader um, who I really am. And, and then um, I I really enjoying um, coaching others to be the best version of themselves. At the same time, I learn and I also um, evolve and grow. So that's how I became a product leader and coaching uh, founders as well as product managers um and at uh at spoon i joined the company not through like the the typical recruitment process i um helped them five years ago through 500 startups um through the series a program um as a mentor and i really like the founding team and um this time they want to grow the company globally and the timing worked out and i figured that in the entertainment space um this is something that I can do better than anybody else. So I, I joined them and it's been a, a lot of fun and uh, quite a journey. Wonderful. What was the point when you've realized that entertainment space is going to be your niche or the niche that you enjoy the most? Uh, how did you come to that conclusion for yourself? It's also, um, I didn't think about being in the entertainment space per se. So when the the product that uh, that launched in in Korea as well as in, in the U.S. with person, it was a community. So people, connection, interaction, communication was my theme throughout my mm-hmm. career, and um, the first company uh, that raised money from Facebook and other angel investors was uh, like a virtual community. And at that time, like iPhone just came out and like we didn't know how to make money. And it was just, we were just testing different things. And we were just launching games also. Like we were launching like 10, 20 different apps and see which one works. And when we launched a really small casual game, like a Frogger, it was gaining 10x more downloads than 
the community、mm-hmm. app that we launched. I was like, wow, there's something there. And it was before the Farmville days and any like there's a not even a gaming category in the、um, app store.、Mm-hmm. And I was obsessed with mobile games when I was in Korea. I missed like subway stops because I was playing game. Like, let me finish this stage. So because I love mobile games and I, I like I was the user already.、Um, it was an easy transition to gaming, and gaming turned into like social experience after Facebook launched、uh, opened up their platform for app developers. So social plus gaming,、um, and the in the marketplace like dating、um, services. I was an also advisor for speed dates. So it was an evolution, starting from my discovery through through the process and learning from my success and failure. Interesting.、Um, I know that the kind of the creator communities and generally community based products right now they're receiving a lot of the attention,、um, and generally the the focus of or the enablement of the community、uh, is changing right now. So what we saw in Web two, let's say Instagram influencers, etc.,、um, is a, is a completely different story in a Web three ecosystem. Um, what is your take? How do you see the、um, the products changing with you know with that, and what to basically expect for the creators?、Hmm. A good question. So when I think of Web three, Web three, I don't necessarily pay attention to the the technology or the the theory behind it. I still see the basic user. Needs and what are the problems we are solving? I remember uh, this uh, <laughs> Jiffy on on Twitter, like solving problems for Web three. Like the problem doesn't exist. Like somebody is like doing something at the gym, like using all these tools, but like what are you doing? What are you doing? You're not even exercising. So、um, again, like going back to the creator problem, creators want to build their followings. And generate revenue based on what they're passionate about, and I think Web three opens up the space for them to build their brand independently, regardless of which platform they're in. Because so far, the, all the great aggregators like TikTok, YouTube, and、um, Instagram, they are the gatekeeper between the creators and、uh, their fans, and Web three conceptually. Remove the 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 gatekeeper, which means they can have their own brand. They they can have their own platform to interact with 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 their fans. So I think Patreon is a good example, but it's not a Web three. But I think、um, having your own brand and charge them for exclusive content is a great example.、Um, mm. So that's like a, um like what's opposite of um. YouTube. YouTube is collecting、mm. the their、um, ads revenue and give a cut to the creators. And、uh, I remember、mm-hmm. the the famous quote from the CEO of Patreon saying, "I made like three dollars from YouTube, and by having Patreon, I I like thousand x revenue."、Mm. So I think that's the benefit of Web three. Absolutely.、Um, you mentioned as well very.、Um, Very right thing. The the in in the presence of all of the innovations that we're facing, it's sometimes 
um, easy to lose the track of the actual needs and actual pains of the consumer. Um, aware again that you're, you know, you're probably facing that um, type of conversation with a lot of the startups that you're mentoring as a part of the 500 startups. Um, could you tell me a little bit more in terms of on um, how to uh, how to really focus your attention on a problem and how to really very quickly find the product market fit as you're uh, you know as you like with you know minimum budget with kind of super quick speed uh, with uh, you know minimal team how do you um, what would be your advice essentially for the uh, for those who are starting um, starting their ideas and testing out the potential products. Can you repeat the, the question? Sorry. Yeah, I, I'll rephrase that. Uh -huh. So um, you mentioned that the um, a very right thing that the uh, sometimes the innovations that are coming in the space, they're diluting your attention from the actual uh, consumer problem that we're striving to, uh, to, to solve with a, with, a, uh, with a product. So based on your role in 500 uh, startups as a mentor, what are the usual things that you advise uh, to your startups to enable them to keep their attention uh, strongly, you know, focused on just the problem that they're striving to solve on a pain point? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, especially like a, like a first time founders, they, they know the, the, the language and term and importance of metrics and what like uh, the methodology they should use and because there are a lot of information out there. However, when uh, like I had a meeting uh, last week and the, the founder was saying, oh, the active user is not growing. Like who, and then like, that's the biggest problem. And I said, what's your target audience? And oh, 25 to 35 um, single men, like 35 to 45 like a mom with little kids and and then like people who retired like that's everybody <laughs> and uh what is your target audience and their real problems so that you can build something that like they they say like oh you'd be stupid if i don't use your service and he couldn't mm -hmm. answer that question he'd been running the company for two years and uh it was very surface level and i think as you do mm -hmm. more of it you really go down deep into the user pay points. And I think mm. the epicenter is there's like what you think you know, what users want and what you really, what users want. And if you narrow down the gap and there's no gap, and I think that's success. And um, that's life in general, like expectations versus reality. If there's no gap, you're happy. <laughs> so, that's what I uh, mostly uh, focus on. Like, what is your target audience and what do they want? And do you really know mm -hmm. what they want? And how often do you talk to them? How many of customers you talk to them on a, on a daily basis? And until you think that I know what they're going to say, like before you even have an interview, oh, this, this person is the, this type, this persona that we defined, he's going to, have these kind of problems unless that you can even tell yeah. um and you not it's not like just in your head that you logically know but you embody who you really uh are serving i think the then you're you can build something that they want 
but it's a lot of times um, like you had a Web three example. Like, oh, I want to have a like a like a wallet like MetaMask, and like why? <laughs> but uh, it becomes a lot about um, like jargons and the trend. But it's um, I always um, ask them to pay attention to the the real user problem and what's the undeniable offer that they mm-hmm. will feel stupid if they don't use and i it's it's uh easy to say but it's uh almost like an art form <laughs> even a lot of yeah. research stay on the surface level and spend an, an hour with with the target user based on how you are navigating the the big areas and their problem space the, the it will be a completely different solution or a problem that you define so i like the book uh, it's a really old book by um, Christopher Christensen um, called um, Competing Against Luck in chapter four. I always like tell people to read that book. In chapter four, it talks about how uh, people buy mattress, the, the, the mattress and, at Costco <laughs> and what's the mm-hmm. problem that they are facing for them to buy, like make a big decision at Costco. <laughs> But that's like uh, one of the fascinating examples. And there's also a book called um, Design Sprint, you know, that's Sprint, that's a really mm-hmm. popular book. But um, I think like, you have to really do it often and have a deep, deep empathy to to really understand users. Yeah, uh, that's wonderful. Thanks for the two recommendations of the books. I'll definitely add them to um, to the links that we have in, in uh, you know, to this recording. So the um, one of the things that you also mentioned uh, with regards to your, you know, to uh, experience that you have with the startups that you're mentoring in 500 startups is the importance of the right mindset. Is that what you're referring to? So really focusing your efforts on solving the user problem and keeping really focused attention on that? Or is there... Do you find that there is something else that the um, individuals usually need to pay attention to uh, in order to reach the initial product market fit and then raise their seed or Series A? Yeah. Um, I want to read the famous quote from Paul Graham. This is a <laughs> it's really good. Um, instead of trying to Point yourself in the right direction. Admit you have no idea what the right direction is. And try instead to be super sensitive to the winds of change. The way to come up with new ideas is not to try explicitly to, but but to try to solve problems and simply not discount weird hunches you have in the process. So basically the mindset that um, I want to promote is like you don't have the right answer. So when I uh, in the U.S., like I I felt like oh I don't know the market, and I just moved to the U.S. from Korea two years ago, and I didn't even launch the product because I was afraid that I was gonna fail. And when I launched something, mm-hmm. it didn't work. I was like shit, oh my mm-hmm. god, it's not working. Like oh, what do I do now? I thought I had the answer, and I think it's. Uh, throughout the experience, it, it, it's a really humbling experience that I don't have the right answer. And the right mindset for a founder to have is that I don't know the answer. 
but constantly sensing what's happening uh, with users, then mm-hmm. do it really, really fast so that you can uh, build your gut instinct as quickly as possible. I think that's what uh, at F five hundred we uh, train uh, early stage founders do. So we have programs in pre seed where we're basically incubating ideas with uh, mm-hmm. potential founders and seed mm-hmm. stage. Uh, making the the unique the, the unique selling point more concrete and identifying the the target audience more concrete and then series A program which is helping people to scale once they know what their um, what their problem what the problems they're solving so throughout the phase I think mindset is the the, the most important problem like pre seed it's not that you don't you you have the answer even after you raise money uh, with the seed round. And the seed round, you felt mm-hmm. like, oh, I know the answer. You don't know. <laughs> Even in Series A, I think it's a constant process. So opening up and thinking, um, like not knowing, be okay with not knowing and navigating to the right direction and exploring seems to be very important. And um, secondly, to do it fast, um, you got to do a lot in a short period of time. So in seed and series A program, uh, what we talked to talk about is how many experiments are you running? How many assumptions mm. are you validating on a weekly basis? Mm. Uh, so in the series A stage, if you're not running like five to 10 experiments every day, you, you're, you're doing something wrong. So yeah. if you're doing it well, once like, Something that took uh, three years to reach, you can do it in a month. Like my first product took three years to reach 2 million users. And with the, the new product we are experimenting at, at Spoon, uh, we tested six different ideas in a month. And uh, we are acquiring um, thousands of creators even before the product is launched. So as you do more, you build your gut instinct and uh, you, you do it fast. And some of them don't even need to raise money to do it. Yes, um, I, I remember as well that uh, with Spoon, uh, you mentioned that one of your missions is to uh, is to scale the product um, globally. So could you talk a little bit more about the uh, the process of building the teams across, you know, multiple countries and then also adjusting the products for different audiences within those countries? Sure. So Spoon Radio is uh, offering live audio streaming service. Uh, we have 30 million downloads in, in Korea and Japan and, and, and U.S. The, the biggest challenge is the product started in Korea. And uh, it's been about five years since um, the product w- was launched. And it's a very interesting concept. It's a live streaming, meaning you just talk to your listeners and people can spend coins to give compliments and interact with the streamers. So the, the revenue model is very interesting. So if you think about audio, um, the content business is mostly like podcasts and music. And the like those like communication and interaction is only three percent of the monthly active users in the market space. However, if you think about the revenue, the um, 
the, those interactive um, audio stream streaming services have 35% of the revenue in the, the audio industry, meaning it's, it's very profitable uh, business. However, how people interact with each other is very different by country. Mm. It's, it's, it's like by, by culture. So mm. I've been building, I thought I was building global products so far when I was building products in, in the US because I launch it globally and I was like, oh, I'm, I'm building global product. But actually it's not. I've been building the US product in the YouTube and Instagram. I, I was talking to the product leader at, at YouTube, like they're not really optimizing product for Asian market. Mm. It's working. Their grammar became the global language. And uh, mm. TikTok is one of the good example. They started in, in China. However, after they acquire uh, the US company, they build a global product. Um, and, and Spoon, we are Korean product. <laughs> it's working really well in Japan. However, even Korea and Japan users have different needs. So users want to interact with streamers directly. So we introduced the direct messaging feature. And in Japan, they said, no, 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 we don't want it. Creators don't want it. They, they don't want to directly interact with their fans. So we have to give creators a choice. Like, oh, if you don't want it, you can opt out. So like mm -hmm. those little like nuances are uh, something that we are figuring out on, on a daily basis. And um, so the, the Asian product, the Korean product going global, how it's going to work in the U.S., it's still uh, a challenge. So I think of launching in the U.S. is um, like starting from scratch. We are um, trying to meet the product market fit as if we don't we don't know anything. Mm. Um, even if we are in a Series C stage, raising raising money from like Altos and Good Water Ventures, like we are pre-seed. So it's very different uh, mindset and and the the process. Very true. Um, I know that your team as well is, is spread across these countries. What are some of the challenges that you're experiencing when working across, you know, quite, quite a, quite a wide gap, uh, quite a wide uh, time zone gap, uh, but also quite a wide gap between the, uh, kind of maturity stages of the users and the maturity stages of the product? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, in, in any product, there's like a early, mid, late stage users and their needs are different. They need to onboard and have a, like a, that wow moment for the first week. And then mm. really late stage, they need to consume a lot of content and they need to be um, excited to stay within the platform. So I think uh, in any product, there are different needs by um, by the user uh, and the product lifecycle. However, the, what we are facing is the user personas, the population and the size of the persona is very different in each, each country. So in Korea, because we've been around for five years, there are like 20, 30% of users are creators. So there are a lot of uh, influence of um, creators been uh, making millions of dollars within our, our platform. But in, in the US, we really need to focus on the content like uh, consumers, mm -hmm. they want to consume more content. They're not necessarily want to create, um, wanted to be a streamer because they don't even know what it means to be a creator on an audio platform. Like, do I talk to somebody or do I, what do I say? 
So mm, yeah. it, it's a very um, different perception that users have. Like mm-hmm. you have to train them. You can actually make money by talking. <laughs> Um, so we have uh, like a nine different user personas because we don't want to segment users by continent because we have mm. a one built strategy, which is very bold. We want to have one same experience um, globally, even if we have a mm. different stage of the product lifecycle and the user lifecycle. So we say early, mid, late, and the, the creators who want to make money, who want to consume content, who want to be famous, and who just want to do it because they just love to do. So we have a, a lot of segments um, because of that. Brilliant. Um, obviously, your strength lies in you know building products from scratch. This is how you've started your your career journey as well and essentially what you're continuing to do albeit in the context of you know launching the existing product in different country and adjusting it or maybe starting from scratch as well um would you be willing to share your top three learnings uh with with the listeners with someone who is building the product right now or considering uh launching a venture mm-hmm. Yeah, the first and foremost, uh, I, I told you about the experience that I didn't launch something because I was afraid that I, I was going to fail. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, even like very experienced product leader, if they become a founder, they don't want to lose face and they're afraid of failure because like they're, you're like, like front and center, like you are launching something. You're not part of the organization. So it, it, it's natural to be afraid. So I think the being like, just be, just launch it, be, uh, be courageous. It's, it's hard thing to do. So to that point, I think it's important to do a lot of them. So little failure, it's just very little and it's, it's minor. It doesn't hurt you. It doesn't hurt anybody. You're not even spending a lot of money. So do a lot of them until, uh, it hits something. So speed mm-hmm. and the, and the quantity, um, uh, is, is important. Um, meaning like, like brainstorming, when you do brainstorming, it's about the quantity. It's not about the quality. So in the beginning, I, th- I think it's important to um, just do as many as possible and test uh, your uh, assumptions as quickly as possible. And it, there are lots of resources to uh, do that these days. And like 15 years ago, um, I was lucky to be part of the Facebook fund in batch two um, like there are mentors, investors coming for office hours, and and we asked a lot of questions. Um, but they were like, "Why combinators and, and the Facebook fund?" That was it. There was not nobody else having those incubator programs. But now, like, you don't even have to, have to be part of those incubator programs. There are so many Slack communities and beta.io, product mm. So there are lots of communities to to join and um, learn how to do those things fast and there are lots of tools to test and even doing user interviews became very very easy and the recruitment became very easy so i think like being bold and like do it as as much as possible is important and the um to do it a lot and 
fast, like this scrappiness is also the key. So there's also a quote, like, if you want to be somebody, if there's a, you have a vision you get to in 10 years ago, think about how to get there in one year. And a lot of times uh, people say, oh, I need this to do this. I need this, like, I need the, like some kind of a, like a degree to do this and it's engineered to build something. Um, however, if you go really deep down into the question you want to answer, there are a, a lot uh, quicker and creative way. And one of the companies that I invested in, they use like Eventbrite to to mm. to uh, have those like a like a drivers to book their schedule, for example. So they don't need to yeah. build something to test it. And I've been creative and scrappy. Um, it, it it's it's sometimes hard when you have those like uh, ideas of what the startup should be. But if you really just think about the problems you want to solve and questions you want to answer, it opens up really wide. Yeah, that's very true. Um, from my side as well, a lot of uh, startups that are now raising seed had actually, de- well, originally tested their idea on, you know, Notion or on WhatsApp, just, you know, collecting the information and, um, Interestingly enough, you know, if you're if you're hitting the actual problem and you're striving to solve it, users will come irrespective of the, you know, maybe it's not an ideal UI, you know, maybe it's uh, still a bit clunky, you know, but they do understand that you're building something for them. And typically that's a good sign um, that you're really onto onto the problem that is painful enough uh, for people to to go through maybe 10 notion pages in order to, you know, to actually resolve it. Um, so that's a brilliant uh, suggestion. Is there anything else that you would advise from your learning side? So scrappiness is one of those. So speed off, uh, essentially speed off testing uh, the hypothesis, keeping an open mind to, uh, you know, to potential, uh, to all of the ideas for that matter um, that might come into your mind or you know, across your team's mind or across the user's mind um, towards, you know, how exactly um, could we solve it or, you know, what could be done differently. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to add? It's human instinct to have the answer and be in the known and be be safe. And mm. startup is, is the opposite. You're in the gray area. You don't know the answer. You don't know yeah. how long it will take. And it's... Sometimes I feel, and, and there are a lot of founders, you know, they're depressed and, and it's, that's reality. And even me, like, I was, I was like, oh my God, my bank, it's like, like, I have to live off of my credit card. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm. I don't know how long it's going to go. I feel like I'm going to die. So <laughs> to that point, uh, like mental health became, uh, really um important area that people focus on these days and it's even um it's not a taboo anymore to talk about it so i think it's a really Mm. good good thing i think having um someone to talk to in a community and mentor is is important and even like being able to open and be vulnerable and like just saying like i don't know what's going or really truly feeling um and accepting that it, it's very hard especially as a founder who's have to be very responsible and, and leading the team um, and and secondly 
the patience is, is I think it's, it's a great way to be successful, actually. When I'm in, in a tunnel vision thinking like, oh, I should get there as quickly as possible, mm. then I miss a lot of opportunities around me, uh, like which will make me a lot more successful. But if I have the tunnel vision, I will be a, a tenth successful, even though I get that fast. Yeah, very true. Very true. Um, coming back to, you know, to, um, to your experience right now in Spoon, um, I've, I've reached out uh, originally, as you know, um, since I've noticed as well that there aren't really uh, a lot of the female product leaders out there. Um, in my calculations, that's 10 to 12 percent, which is, in all honesty, not the percentage to be proud of. Um, I think we, you know, as a humanity, we can do a lot better. Um, so I, I wonder if you'd be sharing, if you would be able to share uh, perhaps some of the advice or some of the challenges and learnings that you've accumulated across the years of your experience as a female in the space uh, in order to support the upcoming um, generation of the of the females who hopefully will equally become the female leaders one day sure um, so in high school female population was six percent and and college eight <laughs> percent so in in those moments in, in those environments and even in the tech industry it's really easy to numb myself as if i don't have a gender or um i don't care what's happening around me it just works and looking back, like, it, it happens throughout the process, like like really feeling myself better because like I was always in my head. And looking back, there are those moments I should have spoken up. Like, like um, well, that was inappropriate. But at that time, I think I just like brushed it off as if um, I don't want to deal with it. Um, for example, I was talking to my mentor and she said in her um, company, all the male um, colleagues just went away one afternoon on the Friday. So mm -hmm. on Monday, she asked her boss, like, where did you guys go? And then they went golfing. And she mm -hmm. screamed at her boss saying, like, you're an asshole. How can you do that without telling the female? Like, it was all like men's, men's yeah. uh, boys club. And that's how she learned golfing. <laughs> and then they started going golfing together. And and like growing growing up in Korea, there's been like a lot of times I just thought that that's what that's like how it's supposed to be. Like men going out for drinking after work and just like a little little boys club and not even invited, even if not I'm only the only in Korea. <laughs> but, like even I'm the female in the in the boardroom or the the leadership meetings they, they they just go for drinking and looking back i should have spoken up and yeah. i think it's um that's one thing that i really want to um tell the next generation um it's hard to speak up and i think it's uh, also the muscle we are building and the mm. the 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 society that we are creating and these days i'm having a habit of when i'm sorry i say sorry right away and when i think something's wrong i brought it up right away so that we don't have miscommunication mm -hmm. and and the gap um and secondly like being okay with uh 
who I am will be the second one. And I think there are masculinity and femininity in everybody. However, in um, especially in game companies that I used to work for, I was dressing like men as if I want to be part of that boys club and um, just suppressing my feminine side. And it turned out I'm I'm a I'm a female. I have um, soft and gentle side, and it's okay to show my feminine side. I don't have to be just like have a thick armor all the time. And as I show myself more, I connect with others more. That's like being part of being uh, being vulnerable, and even like speaking that like. Saying that language vulnerable, I think it's uh, it's good uh, that we can say it. And uh, thanks to Brunet Brown. <laughs> Superb. Uh, well, Xinyong, um, I'll give our listeners uh, a couple of the websites so they can reach you and find out a little bit more about your work, whatever they really want to engage you directly um, uh, into their own projects, or they might be seeking some support uh, from your side as an advisor. This had been fantastic conversation. Um, the the links that I uh, you know that I've uh, collected so far are PMF dot um, dot page, and of course your Medium uh, uh, blog, your blog on Medium. So I would be happy to share that. And you've also shared one of the link to the Rooftop Club. So could you perhaps pause and and you know dedicate a couple of minutes to the Rooftop Club? What is it about? I believe this is the startup that you're uh, launching as well uh, these days. So what are the next steps there? What the product is about, and um, how are you seeing that develop? Sure. Um, so at at Spoon, we care a lot about creators, and I, I have a huge respect for creators. It has to be consistent. Like doing something every day is really hard. Like, what are the things that I do every day, <laughs> and be very mm. very creative? So creativity, consistency—that's a—that's a, a challenge for them. Um, and what helped them to gain more followers and help them to be creative and consistent is uh, the creator community and um, collaborating uh, with each other to gain uh, followers and like the uh, exchange their followers through through um, like content creation, like collaborated um, content creation. So rooftop that club is helping um, creators to build their followings as fast and as easy as possible through collaboration. So we are launching in June and we're going to have like a, like a matching algorithm for you to find the creators that you can collaborate through our AI and uh, ML. And once you find your match, like we, we want you to be able to, collaborate and be on the show as quickly as possible. So we are also helping you guys with, uh, with the tools and the scheduling so that you can find time to collaborate. Beautiful. Thank you so much for dedicating a couple of minutes to that. Um, wishing you best of luck uh, for the launch already in a couple of weeks. And uh, we'll definitely keep our listeners posted on that. So, Jinyoung, this has been an amazing conversation. I really thoroughly enjoyed meeting you um, again. So thank you so much for your time today. Definitely looking forward to speaking um, again sometime in the future. All right. Thank you so much, Alex.
Thank you. I'll 